Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. There's no one way. You can be successful as an asshole. You can be successful as a nice person. Either way, you do need to do the work. You need to just get your ass in motion and you need to know how to, like when to be allowing and accepting people and when to set boundaries. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. One of my absolute favorite tech companies making business communication as effective as it can be between customer and brand is Intercom. Intercom automatically picks the best leads from your site traffic to boost your top of funnel, increase efficiency, and grow your business. The Intercom Messenger, their new feature, is customizable to match your brand and has a home screen that engages with visitors with interactive content a newsletter subscription button, lead capture, and more before they even start to chat. Intercom's chat bot also qualifies and routes the best leads to your sales team automatically. So you can keep avoiding the VP of sales or you could use Intercom. Start for free today at intercom.com. That's intercom.com. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast. We are here in Santa Monica. Yes, celebrating the amazing tech founders, creators, innovators, influencers in the city. And today I have one of my favorite people, Aaron Ross. He's one of my favorites because to me, being a leader is being a family person, understanding how to manage a team and understanding how business works. And he's able to embody all those things. And most importantly, he's so humble, so kind, so relatable, so approachable. I'm really excited to have him on the show. Hello. Well, happy to be here, <laughs> including in this new uh, your new space here. I know. So thank you. So, OK, go ahead and formally introduce yourself to everybody. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Wow. You know what? This I'm old enough where I feel like that's a pretty big question. So I'll try to keep it short, though. I'll try. So Aaron Ross, um, I never thought I would live in Los Angeles. I never thought I would be a sales author. I never thought I would be, uh, I guess, a sales thought leader. I'd never thought I'd have nine kids. Yeah. So that, that's, that's crazy. That's a start. Basically, if I went back, I'm 46, mentioned age. If I went back to my 20s or 30s, up until about 30, mid 30s, if I had ever envisioned my life, it would have been completely different than like 180 degrees from what I have now. Now, if you've heard of me, I guess I'm most famous for the book Predictable Revenue, which I wrote and published a few years ago. It's popular in the sales industry, tech software industry. It you know, is scattered in other industries here and there, but that's, I think, what I'm most known for at this point. We, I want to get into your book, but the first question I have to ask is nine kids and- yeah, people are like, what, yeah, WTF? Pretty much. Yeah. How are you able to be a business leader, make time to be a partner, a father, and a business leader? Uh, okay, so the, the short answer is I usually, I'm actually not sure. I really don't have a great answer, but let me back up because what's more- so we have nine kids, four are adopted. It's a bit of a, the modern family. And um, this is all within seven years because I got married seven years ago. So zero to nine kids in seven years, which would probably be hyperscaling a family in some <laughs> other book someday. Uh, and the way the math adds up, it was a couple kids from my wife's first marriage, prior marriage. We've both been married and divorced before. Um, 
three kids, three bio kids together and four adopted of different ages. We've adopted a baby from Florida. We've adopted a couple kids from China and a couple of them are teenagers. So a little bit of everything. Very diverse family. You know, the way I really, it works because I work probably, I don't think I could work more than 15 hours a week. Right? I'm a very active father. Um, I walked in this morning when you asked what my morning was like. You know, I took care of the baby all last night so my wife could sleep because she's in a musical show. So basically, baby all night, wake up, grab the baby, getting kids ready for school, drive them to school, check email, do a five-minute call with one of my partners, you know, drive another kid to school, stop by here. And that's a lot of my day. There's probably two or three hours of either email or calls I do a day. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. I would work more if I could, yeah. but um, I just can't. So ultimately, it's about I really have a team of people and partners that I can rely on. And it's taken a lot of years to do that. I want to say 10 years ago, I started, you know, this sort of how do I get the a set of the best partners I can rely on and so on. But if I didn't have, so my wife is in terms of my partner there. And we, we really work well together on the family. So we, um, so anyway, family with her. I have uh, a few business partners in different ventures who are just, it's a really good setup there. And I'm, I've gotten to be really good about letting things go, about not trying to get everything done. So I just get a few things done that I can every week or every day. And there's a hundred things I don't get done, which I probably should get done. I just can't get to. To me, you legit define being a well-rounded business person. It's, it's, I don't, there's not a lot of you out there. You even, you're even so thoughtful yeah. in your approach. You guys, he, he personally reached out to me. He's really patient about being on the show. He's being really accommodating right now because the new studio isn't even set up yet. And I just, I appreciate who you are from a character standpoint. How can you be a business leader and be a good person? Well, it's easy to be a good person no matter where you are, what you do. Um, and I think being a good person also doesn't mean that you are, how would you say, um, soft isn't the right word. You can be accepting and be a good leader, but you also need to know where you have boundaries. So I think in being a team leader, whether it's the family or business, um, a lot of it is sort of knowing what you are good at and trying to focus on that, yeah. knowing what you're not good at and complimenting yourself. Yeah knowing how to be really encouraging to people, like giving them space, not being controlling, right? but also setting boundaries and expectations. Yeah. So it's sort of like everything, the best way I could sum it up is you take all the management books and you read them. Like you, don't, you can read things, but when you practice it, having a big family has been like the ultimate accelerator with you know, people skills and just um, life skills. I really, it's like having kids is like a life skills acceleration project, how especially many, nine of them. How many, are you going to have more? No, not at this point. Now, someday my wife has always said she had a dream to have like a farm and a whole bunch of kids, like foster kids to take care of. And but right now, because we just had a baby a year ago and we're, we're toast on the baby side, it's just so physically grueling yeah, and so tiring that first year or two. Totally. Having two babies at once, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. That's a whole yeah. nother conversation. Yeah. And she's on her musical career. She's a playwright working on it. So she's actually gone. So here's the other for me, why I might be. Your wife. Yeah, yeah, she's she is working on things. This is the first time in fifteen or so years that she's really had a chance to focus on her own goals, her own dreams, and her life right. for herself because she's yeah. put everything into her family for so long. And by the way, single parents—that's the toughest job. Like, I I don't even know how they handle it. So, having said that, she's gone right now with music school at Santa Monica, lessons and other things, probably forty to sixty hours a week, like no joke. Yeah, which means so that's why again I'm. 
holding down the fort with the house. And we get a nanny, we have a nanny every day for the most part, sometimes two on like Saturdays, but still with that many kids and driving, it's exhausting, Yeah, but worth it. Tell me about Predictable Revenue. Why is it an important book? Uh, so Predictable Revenue is an important book because I, in fact, uh, how many years ago? After, so I worked at salesforce.com for a few years and I created a new kind of sales process and team there that helped them add, uh, I'd say $100 billion in a few years then. Um, it's probably been more than a billion since then. <laughs> just glanced over that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it's, insane. It's just a number. Um, but it was, that was my first foray into sales. Like just to step back a little bit, I went there because I'd had a, I started a company before that and it failed in, in part because I didn't know sales. So right. I went to Salesforce to learn sales. Okay, after a few years there, and I knew I wanted to do a book. I didn't see any books out there that really told, um, there's all the sales books, right? There's prospecting books, there's sales books, how to close, how to prospect. There weren't any books I saw that were like, how, if you're an entrepreneur, how do you think about designing your sales team? So like the architecture. And um, I wanted to start another company. So predictable revenue is important because for the, for the business world here, because it helped really open people's eyes to a couple of really big ideas. One is this, I have sales specialization. It's really how many salespeople you do you need doing different kinds of roles. Right. So if you are in sales or have been in sales, if you think about for so long, the way sales worked was everyone did everything, right? All the salespeople did their own prospecting, closing, managing customers, et cetera. That's not the best way to do it for most companies. You need to follow the sports team model, which is you have attackers and defenders and midfield and goalies. Right. Which means in this case, you have inbound lead qualifiers and outbound prospectors and closers and people who handle customers. That was a new, that's a new idea for most of the world, honestly. I mean, it seemed like it now, but it is and it still is. That's a big idea. And the other is outbound prospecting. That was a big idea because it had gotten really unsexy. Right? Inbound was the big sexy idea. Outbound was this, you know, pariah for the most part. And that made it really, uh, people could see, oh, if I have, if I can create predictable pipeline, predictable leads, predictable appointments, then I can create predictable revenue. And how right. do I do that? So it really changed. I've had so many people say it changed the way they, their business. They doubled their business. Or they caught their, their sales Bible. So that was important uh, as a book for the market. It also is important because I published the book because going back, um, I had to, right? I had to make a lot of money right. because I got married. I had this, I was a single guy, didn't have to make much. I could sort of fart around. Yeah. I wanted to. Got married. My two kids are right there. Wife got pregnant right away. I'm like, oh shit, I have to make more money. Yeah. So I got to publish this book that I've been sitting on for, for a while. So uh, it's important to the family that way too. It's important to everybody around me. But you, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, in hindsight, it is. Explain. It, everything's easy in hindsight. Publishing a book, you mean? Yeah, I mean, from publishing a book to even like increasing the revenue of a business, you make it sound like, yeah. Well, increasing I mean, you didn't even know sales. No. How, I mean, walk us through the journey into becoming, uh, a, you know, a novice to a complete expert. Okay, well, here's, here is something that worked for me, right? To make it, it, it wasn't easy. It's never, it's never easy. Even today, it's not easy. I mean, I'm used to it. A lot of things like running around, not getting enough sleep. I'm used to it. It's not easy, right? They say things can be simple, but not easy. Right. Right. Um, Interesting. Things can be simple, simple but, but not, not easy. Right? Simple. Hey, go start a business. Simple. That's how you can make money. 
Yeah, yeah not easy. Not okay. <laughs> but walking back. <laughs> so here's how, what works for me. Everybody's different. But what worked for me was saying, okay, I know something needs to happen. Okay, my business failed. I have to learn sales. If I want to be a CEO and start a company, I need to know sales. Like you just have to. Yeah. Okay. How do I learn that? Well, okay, I'm going to go do sales. Right? Simple but not easy. But I have... I don't know what they call it, faith. I'm, faith. I'm just willing to take the leap and go like, all right, I got to go do this. Right, right. And I'm just going to go do it. Right. Um, okay, publish a book. I don't know. Okay, I got to do it. All right, so I'm just going to go figure it out and start committing right. to do it. Uh, in other words, having a baby, adopting. I don't know. Like, we, it just feels important. Let's go do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And almost not, like, if I actually knew how hard it would be, they said, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have said, if I knew how hard this would be, I wouldn't have started all right, so I sort of ignore, I, I, I do know how hard it'll be, or maybe I do, maybe yeah. I just ignore that part yeah. and just commit to doing it. And things always take longer than I want. So I don't know if that's true. I think it's true of most people. Yeah. And just being able to stick to it over the, 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 things take years longer than I want. Yeah. And so it's sort of that willing ignorance to just jump into something I know is important. And it's Salesforce. Jumping into sales, the only sales job they had was the basically answering the 800 line. Yeah. I went to learn. So I'm from being CEO of a uh, venture funded company to, yeah. you know, a sales rep making a fraction. Yeah. So, but I didn't, my ego wasn't important. I just wanted to learn. Right. It's, uh, it's just that willingness to jump in and do whatever it takes to do that next step. Yeah. I think it's part of it. Now, none of those steps are easy. Publishing the book wasn't easy. Um, adopting and kids, none of that's easy. Starting a business isn't easy, but- there are, of course, lots of great moments, and it's all worth it. Any entrepreneur listening here would think, okay, starting a business, running a business is not easy, but is it worth it? Yeah. Having kids, why? not easy. Why is it? I, kids, se- separate, but business. Why is having a business worth it? For most people, I mean, not, it's not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. Let's just, not everybody is. That's just a fact. So more people will be entrepreneurs now, but it's hard. It's easy to start a business. It's hard to make money at a business or make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into that because part of what happened to me in publishing the book and getting married, it sort of forced me to, I grew my income 10 times and 11 times in four years. Again, no big deal. <laughs> not easy, but. Um, but simple. Yeah, it was simple, but not easy. Yeah, simple, but not easy. Let's dive into a few things. One, we mentioned book publishing. Um, and also, I, I really want to dive into how you have this 15-hour work week because sure. you make it sound really easy. <laughs> and uh, and But before all that, if you could take a moment to be boastful and share some of the milestones because your book comes highly recommended from all the major business blogs, from all the thought leaders, from companies. Yeah. It's a really big deal. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. If I was going to be boastful in terms of the juggling, let's talk. So I think here's how I think about it. Okay. I got married seven years ago. So in those seven years, let's see, published four books, two, I would say real books and two for fun. Um, started a few businesses. Wait, what's the difference between fun and real? Okay. So one, so there's predictable revenue, which was the first, so the, okay. In order, the first book was called CEO flow. Okay. And that was a book I wrote mostly in a weekend. And it was like a practice book to sell and self-published it with something called Lightning Source. So someone had a course called like write a book in a weekend. And when I saw that, I was like, sure. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. I never thought about that. Um, the short answer is probably half the book had been edited, you know, like 
there's stuff before and I edited that and I wrote right. like half of it at the, in the weekend. I just just did it. Right. And maybe two or three months to sort of like clean it up for publishing. That was, a, that was really just to say, hey, practice, it's like a practice book. Would and, you still recommend Lightning Source? Um, there's, there's pros and cons. Like it's not as simple, but you have better economics and other things. I think so. I'm not, there's so many options. I'm not sure. I like it, but it's not the simplest way to do it. I know as times change, resources change. So yeah, Yeah, there's, um, it's not, it's, you get probably the cheapest books in some ways. If you want to buy your own, there's pros and cons to all of them. Right. Most people, if you're doing, starting out, just do the simplest you can do because you can also change it later. Just get it up. <clears throat> so that was the first book, Second Predictable Revenue. And that was the first one I really marketed. Now, um, it's sold more than 100,000 copies now. And I hear sell, selling 10,000 copies is a big deal, a business book. And we haven't done much marketing. It's really through mostly word of mouth. If we actually marketed it, and who knows what it would do. And then, so the fun books, uh, then I did a fun book. It's called Sons Love Drawing Mutant Robot Battles with Dads. That was just more you know, a fun book. It's like mostly pictures, a couple, you know, a little few words. And, but it's a bonding yeah, family it was experience. Fun. And then the last one was From Impossible to Inevitable, which was uh, through a publisher with this guy, Jason Lemkin from Saster. And that was, uh, that was a lot of work too. And how's that one done? Um, it's done really well. It's probably only sold 25,000 copies. It's been out for a couple of years. It should sell more. It's a better book. And we're going to, it's getting updated this year. But um, between Jason with his conferences and me with, the babies we just haven't really marketed a lot it's all marketing do you have like a kind of top three tips on marketing a book first i've had this conversation with some authors is that there's this idea of this big like launch you know no it's not it's it's a marathon not a sprint you whatever the launch is and sometimes i don't think our launch it's really if the book is written well and you find some partners and you can it's like a thing about a two-year marketing you just got to keep it up over like years, really. It's not the 30-day launch thing. It's refreshing to hear. Yeah. It's more attainable. Yeah. And it just takes, yeah, you got to stick to it. got to stick to it. It's, like, it's yeah. like diet and exercise. It really is a lot of these things, diet and exercise. I, I love that you mentioned the book in a weekend. Um, I am, have a resource. I don't know if you've heard of Book in a Box um, with Tucker Max's yeah, program. Yeah, I've heard of that. And so there's just an online resource that I got from Book in a Box. It was totally free. And I'm following a thing to write a book, not in a weekend. But the idea of just utilizing what you have and just taking action to get something done, even if it's not perfect, just to create yeah, totally. the habit. Yep. Because yeah. the first book, CEO Flow book, I don't know. If I went back, there's a lot of problems with it. I mean, like you never, uh, my, my Wiley publisher said, you never finish a book. You just hit done. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, you just, so yeah, you just got to do it. And yeah. that's a hard part and because there's so much inertia and habit. Yeah. And uh, I will say the thing that really has been the most ultimate motivator for me is having kids because when you have things like, and whether it's rent and we are, I mean, we have to spend with our family. It's crazy because we have a, we had to find like a, by now a six bedroom house. Um, and I started at Salesforce early, but not early enough. So I have to, I have to make money. Right. Um, but we spend more in a month than my wife made as an executive assistant per year. Right. right? It's in the mid five figures yeah. between rent and health. I mean, health insurance alone is almost $2,500. It's crazy. Right? Our food bill a month is four or $5,000. And I was thinking about even diapers. I hear diapers are crazy expensive. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that's not, no, nah, nah, Like electricity. And I don't have kids, so I don't know. But I hear like my girlfriend's always talking about diapers. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really expensive. So yeah. it's a great motivator to, you know, motivator. So what I find is that I'm, 
in a lot of ways I am intrinsically motivated, but not a lot of ways I'm not. And having deadline, like the best motivator motivator for me are deadlines. Yeah. And I write about this in the From Impossible book, Come Forcing Functions, where same thing, like I need to learn sales. All right, I'll go get a job. And I was like, force myself to learn. Right. Here's the example, which is if you want to get in shape, yeah. is it better to join a gym or do you sign up to do a marathon and tell all your friends you're going to do it? Oh. Yeah, that's that's yeah. worse for me is the is B. The marathon. Yeah, stuff I know I need to do. Yeah. Um, but I might just be, you know, whether it's inertia habits, laziness. Right. Um, and having lots of kids, it just, it's been the willingness to just go for it. I think the ease in our conversation, I feel like everybody listening right now would feel like, how is it possible that this guy that makes uh, everything happen for this super large family only working 15 hours a week? Yes. Okay. So again, uh, 10 years ago, I spent some time, is it 10 years ago? It's close enough. Um, After Salesforce, I spent some time at a venture capital firm and I was just, you know, they actually paid me to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I realized, wow, I don't want to start a tech company. I don't want to raise money. I don't want to, I'm not sure what I want to do, but I want to make as much money as I want to do what I love. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but I, I can figure something out. And so the plan was to do sales consulting and build that up while, um, Ultimately, I figured out, okay, well, I want to, you know, create this community, basically create a way for people to work based on trust. Um, and at that same time, it's like, well, you know, 25 hours a week feels like a, a much better way for me to work. Because when I work more than that, I, I get more done in the short term, but I lose sight of the big picture. Like I lose sort of these intuitive leaps. So I just came up with this. I'm going to work 25 hours a week. Again, this is like nine or 10 years ago. And... That was actually hard to do because when I wasn't working, you know, you're, I'm like, what do I, you know, you want to sort of work. So it took practice to be able to let go and to, again, try not to do everything and to, to work less. Um, you know, cause I'd done invest in banking where I worked 80, hundred hours a week. I mean, so I can do that. It's actually harder to work less. And uh, it's just over the course of a few years between, um, so here's an interesting exercise, which is when I had to make, okay, let's go back. I mentioned I grew my income 11 times in four years. Okay, how did I do that? Um, I didn't work more. Right? So one of the ways, it was like a forcing function, like an engineering constraint. I'm an engineer by, by nature, which was how do I make more money while, okay, at 25 hours a week, I need to double my income at this point, right? Because we need a bigger place to live that's twice as expensive by a certain date. Like how do I make more money? Okay, I just got to raise my prices. So that kind of exercise forced me to be more creative with the business to like, how do I get more stuff done or make more money without using more, more time? Because where the time thing came from, too, is, you know, like Bill Gates probably worked 80 hours a week, but so do farm workers. So more hours doesn't necessarily mean more money. Mm. How can you be more thoughtful about how you use your time? And for me, if I was working more than 25, 30 hours a week, I, it was hard for me to be thoughtful. Did you track your time? No, no. It's just more of an estimate. If I looked at my... And I, for it was 25 hours a week, give or take. And some yeah. weeks are a lot more if I travel or have something, some big right. deadline. Some weeks is less, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think I didn't try to reduce it, but I just look at my calendar. I'm like, it's probably like 15, right. maybe 15 hours a week right now. Maybe not. I, I get it, though. It's more like the thought behind it. And am I, am I living my life with the intention of delegating what I need to delegate yeah. and only focusing on where my energy should be focused? and 
truly letting go of the rest and really putting yourself in check when you're being an A-type controlling. Yeah, and am I just <laughs> throwing more hours at a problem versus right. being trying to be more, it's like impatience. Yeah. And I'm very, I can be very patient. And to me, I thought, oh, if it takes a few years, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm more like the turtle. Although in short time, like writing a book on a weekend, I can be a hare and sometimes, right. but I'm more like the turtle in the race. Yeah. And slow and steady. Yeah. Like, uh, so another reason people tend to work a lot, especially if they don't have kids is because, you know, you have a free day. And you're like, well, what am I do? All right. I don't know. I guess I'll just work some more. Yeah. It's an easy, or go on Instagram. It's like an easy, um, you don't have to think very hard about like, what do I, what do you really want to do? So that's, that's pretty common. But I think that the, the time boxing, limiting myself by hours was a way to force myself to rethink what I needed to do and how to grow a business in a way that was a little more thoughtful. And uh, I want to get more into being the leader that you are because it's what excites me the most about everything. But before that, um, uh, how can people hire you? How can they work with you? Um, how, do, how does your company work? How can we access you? Uh, sure. <laughs> well, the main, um, so predictablerevenue.com is the main company. And our specialty, we call ourselves the outbound success company. So for companies that want to build an outbound program, which is you have a way, whether whether we're doing the prospecting for you or if you're ready to build your own team, you want to you know do outbound prospecting to generate appointments for your sales team. Or if you're not sure, if you need like a sales strategy, like to, that's what we help, our, our, that's our specialty. So, um, a subspecialty is for companies that have been sort of, I would say, too successful with inbound. Yeah. Because you learn all these, uh, not bad habits, but they're just different. A lot of companies grow up through inbound and then they're like, oh, okay, that's plateauing. Now we need to do outbound as a compliment. And it's a, it's a hard switch. It's a hard, it's not a switch. It's a hard skill to add on because it's so different in terms of behavior. I mean, like salespeople who are used to just getting leads all the time when they get, they're not used to selling. Right. Right. So that's another kind of uh, assessment specialty to help companies know exactly how to like, get a growth plan and like assess them and like here's here's a custom growth plan to how you can either make the switch or grow faster. It's like another thing I do. What range of companies should be reaching out? Um, uh, most companies, almost could be almost anyone as long as they got some money. But we even have <laughs> a range. We you know there's predictable university for a few thousand dollars. Um, most of the things that we do that I do are projects. The companies probably have one or two million in revenue um, around the world, honestly. Mostly in the U.S. There's most in the U.S. Uh, and the projects tend to, you know, at least for today, you know, 30,000 to could be low, you know, six figures, typical. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of depends. Sometimes lower, but that's kind of the range. It's not like a few hundred dollars, but they need to have something they can sell. They probably want to grow. They may or may not be ready, which is what we can help tell them if they're ready or not yet. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, predictablerevenue.com is, is like the base, best place to start. And something I've brought up so many times is, again, your character. Uh, in the business world, there's this idea that you have to be a jerk to get ahead. You're the opposite of that. Is there? And I guess that's the Steve Jobs thing. No, not just Steve Jobs. It's just like you have to step on people. You have to deceive people. You have huh. to be led by greed. It's just that's, I think that, I mean, that's just. I never held that belief, so. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I think that right there. Is, I suppose you can get ahead that way, but you don't have to. I love that. I never held that belief. It's all, the world is all how we see it. You do have to, 
know how to stand your ground in certain areas and know yeah. in the boundaries thing. Yeah. And I don't think I had the, I was better about like at Salesforce. I was really good about encouraging people. Um, I wasn't as good about holding, I could hold them accountable, but I think what I've learned over the last few years too, is when um, people feel like they can't do it, but then you, you do, you know, you believe they can and putting them in an uncomfortable position where they have to, you know, get, make that leap. Right. Where it's not too easy. Yeah. Because we see that with our, honestly, with our kids too. Yeah. There's a lot of this. I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, I mean, you can. We just need to help you take the next step. And My high school journalism teacher forced me to call celebrities and movie production companies to, I was a features editor and I was terrified. And because, but she knew I could do it and I could do it, but I I didn't know that at the time, of course. And um, because she legit forced me to do it, it was part of the initial steps to become the entrepreneur I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Our 15 year old daughter, you know, last summer she had this project. She was going to make a purse out of leather. And I don't remember she had, she, she procrastinates like probably everybody, honestly. And um, I remember after two months or something like, okay, look, it's time for you to do do the damn purse. I don't think I actually said damn, but might've, I mean, there's a lot of swearing in our house, by the way, (laughs) my my wife and the older kids like to swear at each other. I think it's more like banter. Um, There is a lot of like, fuck this and that. (laughs) But I said, look, okay, about this. I'm turning your social media off because we use this thing called circle at home because kids were, and when you get your purse done, you could, you could get your Instagram back, right? Which is like life threatening to a 50 year old. Like, yeah. what's the big, honestly, what's the big deal with Instagram is mostly, uh, so and she <laughs> bitched and moaned and she, you know, just like, oh my God, I can't do it. I tried. I don't have the right sewing machine. I'm like, we'll get a hand sewing thing. Right. I can't do that. I don't have the, you know, we don't have the needles. They're not strong enough for the, all these excuses, yeah. all, excuse after excuse after excuse. I'm like, well, look, I'm happy to get you the right new needles, but social media is off until you get it done. Uh, finally, she, I don't know, caved in and just like did it. All right. Yeah. And then even then it was this, I bent this needle, my thumb hurts. And <laughs> just this almost like, like, poor me, why can't you help? I don't know, this, this these, um, all these, uh, I don't know, but she did it. Right. Yeah. And she, and I know she's, she's way more capable than she so that was a case where, like, I knew she could do it. I know, I had no question about it. And she yeah. just had her own issues and yeah. fears, like we all do. We all do. Yeah, we all do. Everyone does. I, everyone, even today, you never outgrow them. Yeah, They're just new ones. Even Richard Branson has them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I just that was I know for her, it's a motivator. It was, and like that was a simple one. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's great. I love what you said. It, it's it's the it's the belief we hold. I never heard it put in that way, but I do believe in the concept and. Just it's just great. It's very yeah. empowering. I mean, you can be successful. There's no one way. You can be successful as an asshole. You can be successful as a nice person. Either way, you do need to do the work. You need to just get your ass in motion, and you need to know how to, like, when to be allowing and accepting people, and when to set boundaries. Just people, you know. This is a. It's been a big conversation today about boundaries. Boundaries in business. Boundaries within family life. Boundaries in your personal. Because that's something I learned for myself more in the last again with the family, like how to set them. And, you know, they're kind of tricky because, you, you know, like goals, you don't really know when do you set them and what should they be and right. so on. So uh, I think because I didn't know them or wasn't, I feel like as, um, I want to say like capable, I don't want to say capable, but I, I wasn't as familiar with them or how to do them. And uh, I got an acceleration course in the last nine years. So now that's probably why I think about them because it was like a newer thing for me in the last decade. Do you have a, a few insights on how we could start setting more effective boundaries? So 
I think when something uncomfortable happens, like someone says something that's uncomfortable that you, you don't feel good, part of what I what I go through is, hmm, is it not feel good because do I need to sort of work on me being accepting, or is it because I need to stand my ground and make it clear that that was not that was inappropriate? You know, a lot of it comes from that internal feeling. Also, it comes from practice. I mean, you're going to get it wrong, especially with kids. You just you get everything wrong all the time. Yeah. And uh, a side digression, I think, is what makes, at least for some entrepreneurs and some parents, what makes them good, not all, but is the fact they don't think they're good parents. They don't think they're good entrepreneurs. So they're like work, they work harder to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, sometimes I feel like a good parent. I know my wife doesn't feel like one, but she works, she's a great one. She works really hard at it because she doesn't think she's a good one. A couple last questions. One, how can people connect with you? So I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I don't. If you follow me on Instagram, it's Aaron Ross 383. Can you um, spell your name for yeah, us? Yeah, A-A-R-O-N-R-O-S-S and then 383. Uh, PredictableRevenue.com, LinkedIn I'm on. So pretty easy to find. And what's one thing that we could do to support you in the community? Like something to accelerate you forward. If you had one ask for everybody listening, what would that ask be? Oh, geez, like uh, someone who can come by and help babysit. <laughs> um. You know, so if I think about that, I, I, you know, what I would say is there's a lot, I, a lot of people I talk to, they say, Hey, I you guys have adopted so many kids. Like we want to, we've talked about adopting. I'm like, well, why don't you? And you know, I have, my spouse doesn't want to do it or it's not the right time. Or, so, uh, I would say there's never a great time. There's never the perfect time to have a baby, have a kid or adopt. So I would encourage if you have, if you're one of the people who've wanted to, you know, it can also take a year, two or three years to make a decision that you're going to do it. You may not know all of how to do it. You may not know where. And there's so many, there's all the countries, domestic, international, private. It's like, it's completely confusing. Right. But starts with a decision to do it and that you'll find out how it works. Um, all our adoption, I mean, I think all our adoptions have been very, um, I don't say surprising, but where they started did, was not where they ended up. Like our first adoption we looked at like ethiopia and we ended up in china i don't know who knows with a a kid who has a, who i was just from disabled like his legs don't work really his knees don't bend and by the way like it's not that big a deal now um you just get used to it so i think it starts with a decision and you don't need like the the adopting a perfect baby or perfect kid is way overrated and the, whoever you adopt you get used to them we were open to pretty much any kind of physical disability the one place that we we didn't want to adopt from eastern europe just because of the abuse there, uh, it's just horrible. And we didn't feel like we had the capacity. Um, there's lots of kids, though, if they have certain mental issues or abuse issues, they really probably need to be in a family of just parents and no other kids. Um, that's not us. Yeah. So he's like, know your boundaries there. Open to all kinds of things, but not, you know, not early uh, sexual or violence abuse. But I say it just starts with a decision to do it. Like if your spouse is hesitant, I mean, it's mostly fear that holds people back. It's not, again, not easy to adopt. It's actually not even simple, but it's incredibly rewarding and can be. It's absolutely fascinating because so many people in the entrepreneurial world put off all that thinking it's a distraction, yep. thinking it will hold them back. And, and sometimes it might be. Yeah. But not, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, when I, someone I talk, I can't remember who it is now. By the way, all I had to give up was all my free time, energy, and, uh, <laughs> and sanity. So, right? <laughs> um, for now. And by the way, but I'll have two, like, I'm not going to be lonely and I'm old, and I'll have friends <laughs> everywhere. And we have a lot of fun together. Um, but there's someone, I 
I was facing someone who they wanted to start a company in this year and a couple of years and they're in their, Oh, they're finishing school. So yeah, like sometimes you do need, it just doesn't make, if you're going to, you're finishing your graduate degree. Right. You know, like that doesn't make sense to have a baby then, like if you yeah. wait a year, but you know, there's no perfect time. You don't push it off forever. Right. And uh, at least for me, having kids and a family is what actually motivated me to make these, a lot of big changes and ways of right. And they weren't the distraction that was like my, my yeah. foundation. And I've heard that from a lot of other successful people is like family was their foundation for success. It wasn't anyone who has a family, it's how you treat them. You can treat them like a distraction or you can treat them like uh, a, your, the benefit that they hopefully are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people on the career track treat them too much as a distraction when they, they really aren't. And, you know, as you get older in 10 or 20 years, you're not going to care about the job you're in. You're going to, you know, all, ultimately all that defines your life is really is like your relationships and memories and feelings Yeah. over time. Definitely. Is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't say? No, I just thank you for this opportunity. Uh, it's a rare chance to do an interview in person, which is much more interesting than over a Skype line or over the telephone. Yeah. And uh, thanks for being accommodating with your your messy office, which doesn't bother me at all. Oh God, totally so get over, it. get over it. Get over it. Get over it. That's fine. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. It is the people like you that I want to celebrate, and that's why I do what I do. If you guys want to connect with more extraordinary people in the Los Angeles tech community, remember you could go to the We Are LA Tech Facebook group or you could go to wearelatech.com slash VIP to access the Slack group. You could also say hello on socials at We Are LA Tech on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. I have been a fangirl of Intercom since they were a startup. Intercom makes me feel like I'm not just a site visitor, but I'm a relationship that that company I'm engaging with cares about. One of my favorite companies that uses Intercom is Moonclerk. So I wanted to reach out to the founder, Dodd, of Moonclerk and ask him, why did they choose Intercom? Hi, I am Dodd Caldwell, one of the co-founders of Moonclerk, which is a recurring payment system built for small businesses. A big part of what we do is providing a great customer experience and a really personalized experience. Going to Intercom allowed us uh, to better personalize our communications with our customers, which are small businesses. Uh, and I think they appreciate that. So uh, what we do at Moonquark uh, that uh, probably a lot of businesses don't do is we like to send a personalized email to every single person who even signs up for a free trial. And Intercom really helps us with that. And we're actually able to scale that uh, using Intercom. Even from that simple aspect of a welcome email, um, we've really been able to uh, increase uh, conversion rates for people who sign up to people who become uh, paid customers. So it's a great, uh, a great system for us to be able to provide more customized and personalized uh, communications with them without having to add, you know, a lot of extra overhead on our part. It's actually reduced that for us. Intercom is simply the most effective way to build the most meaningful relationship with your customers visiting your website. Start for free today at intercom.com. That's intercom.com. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love.
linked in the show notes.